hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny for those who are willing to open their hearts to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So we are in the series, King and Kingdom. This has been so uh, revelatory for me because as we go into what the Father has for us as a church family, for our nation, for our world in this great awakening, I think it's awesome that he intends to, to preach and teach to us what the values are in the expression of his kingdom that he's bringing. So a revival or a renewal is not some spiritual pixie dust that God comes and sprinkles all over people or a place or whatever. It's actually a manifestation of his kingdom. To the degree that you allow and agree with the manifestation of his kingdom taking place either in your life or your finances or your health or your neighborhood or your town or your region or your world is the degree that those things are going to manifest. When you hear about revivals or renewals and people say, wow, all these people were getting healed down here at this revival. It's not like God just decided to go somewhere and do a lightning strike. And everybody else is sick and dies. It's because those folks that were gathered in that place, there was a um, an overwhelming awareness of God that nuked a lot of their unbelief and hesitancy and hindrances. And so there was like this free flow of something. But God has desired to free flow ever since Jesus Amen. free flowed right out of the tomb. That has been God's plan to do that. And now as we go into this, it is such an honor to be teaching and preaching on the finished work of the cross and the manifestation of the kingdom of God because I believe that he is going to position us to be leaders in this new coming time. And we need to get this. We need to get this. So if you do not have a Bible, please uh, let us know so that one of these two good-looking fellows can bring you a sword so that you can cut the devil's knees and feet and hands and tongue and head and eyeballs and and just make him a bloody mess with your sword. Nobody? Nobody? You don't don't want us after all that? Nobody wants? Okay. They brought their own. All right, please go to Luke chapter 12. This is our foundation. And just so you know, this is the message of Jesus. This wasn't one of the messages. This wasn't um, a subset of information that he wanted folks to have. I'll say this. Healing is actually a lesser, quote-unquote, doctrine than the kingdom is to Jesus. Finances is a lesser doctrine than the kingdom is. 
um, love, whatever your thing is that you think like Jesus, like this was his thing. No, this was Jesus's thing, preaching the kingdom. In the kingdom, healing. All right, six of you, that's pretty good. In the kingdom, prosperity. Oh yeah, look, oh yeah, I know, pastor. In the kingdom, joy, peace, uh, uh, perfect, amazing relationships and marriages and all of those things are in the kingdom. And so whenever Jesus was talking or preaching or teaching about anything, it was still aspects of the kingdom that he is the king of. So whatever you think is important scripturally or Christian it is going to fall in the context of this, the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. Kingdom means king's dominion. And you could call yourself a Christian, and it may or may not be true. Christian is Christ in, Christian, Christ in. And it means that you are living, talking, walking, as Christ. That's when it gets quiet when you start. Because everybody is aware of their personal failures. And then we excuse them away because nobody's going to be perfect. And I would challenge you to find the scripture in the Bible that gives you permission to not be perfect. Well, it's not in the Bible. It's just what I believe. There you go. There you go. Because Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I'm holy. Well, I mean, not everybody can be that. Well, then Jesus is unjust and mean to ask you to be that way. So you need to pick. Either the character of God is maligned. Or you need to raise your belief systems up to what he's asked for. The reason he put the perfect Holy Spirit on the inside of you is because you in yourself, that is in your flesh, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, you are incapable of doing it. God knew that. He was aware of your shortcomings and your failures. And so instead of saying, oh, well, you poor little thing, you're just always going to muck it up. And so I'm just going to give you permission to be mucked up. No, he says, hey, I know that you're always going to muck stuff up, so here's what I'll do. I'll give you my spirit, the exact same spirit that created the ability in me to walk in perfect holiness and power and authority. I'm going to give you the exact same spirit that raised me from the dead. I'm going to fill you with him, and then I'm going to anticipate and expect that you're going to walk the way I walked. And then we say, but we're human to our God who was human. Amen. One third of the Trinity is human. There's a man in the Godhead. And you're excusing away your humanity. When divinity invaded your humanity. In other words, you actually believe more in your humanity than you believe in your divinity. 
you believe more in what Satan did at the garden than you believe in what Jesus did at Golgotha. If you believe in failures, sick, broke, problems, drama, then you believe in Satan in the garden. (laughs) You guys are loving this. (laughs) No amen, preacher. Bring it. I can bring it in a crowd because nobody's like, he's not talking to me. He's talking to that guy. If you believe in divine health, prosperity, authority, power, joy, peace, manifestations of the kingdom and of the fruits of the spirit, then you actually believe in the finished work of the cross. Now, if you believe that what Satan did in the garden was stronger and more influential in your life and in your future than what Jesus did at the tomb, then you're going to have that. Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. Be it unto you according to your faith. It was unto Jesus according to his faith. This message of the kingdom is so deeply important. So deeply important. And we're oftentimes distracted by the natural. So much so that the kingdom kind of just becomes one of those Christian words that's thrown around because we're part of the cool kids club that has the handshake and the t-shirt and our special Christian language. And so we throw around term kingdom oftentimes to either excuse away or not excuse away what we're doing, thinking, believing, acting like. I, sometimes when it's really quiet, I don't know if that's if that's like everybody's saying, "Hey, shut up and do the scripture stuff," or they're just are your mouths are full of what I just fed you, and you don't want to talk with your mouth full. <laughs> Luke chapter twelve, starting in verse twenty nine, and seek not ye what you shall eat. You seek not what you shall eat. I know we open up every time with this. And I know everybody like gets into the spirit as soon as I start reading this. But I do want to highlight that a lot of your day, except for today because you're holy today, but a lot of your Monday is going to be about seeking what you're going to eat. Now, uh I'm not fat. One of the things that compels you at a job is your need for groceries. And I, I know because I used to be an employer. I had fifteen hundred or two thousand people working for me, and I had the, I would have that happen a lot where I'd be correcting someone, and they'd say, "You know, I'd quit if it wasn't for the fact that I needed money for food." Fine. And I, no, I didn't do that. I was actually a Christian, and so I I get it that you have to embrace the fact that the Father's calling you to set your hands to something. But if you're setting your hands to it because you believe that that is the source, 
of your grocery money, then your father is not. This is always about source. Always about root and source. That is your father. Your father is always about root and source. This is something that's come up more than once in the last couple of weeks for me, and so I want to I want to highlight it real quick. You know, you can do the exact same thing. I can uh, I can walk up to Kay and I can kiss her from one place in my heart, and I can walk up to Kay and kiss her from another place in my heart. Now, what Kay knows is that her husband kissed her. If I'm carnal and self-centered and selfish, I'm kissing her so she knows I'm kissing her so she'll return affection to me because I'm a good husband and she better do it because I sowed it so she better give it back. Amen. I know. uh, You guys are way too holy to ever do that. Or I can kiss her because she's loved me with agape love for 26 years. She's been incredibly gracious to me. She is way more than deserving of it. And she's planted in me a passion and a fervency to love her with everything I got. Now to her, they're both exactly the same. It's a kiss. The difference in me is the difference between spirit that is eternal and carnal that is earthly, sensual, and devilish. You know, you can give money, you can give time, you can give affection, all, all the treasures of it, you can actually give them by the prompting of Satan. And it looks exactly the same. It looks exact. Nobody would ever know. Nobody would ever know. You can come in here and put on your best Sunday clothes and have your most pious face and carry your, your well-used Bible that you've been working out in the back seat, making sure that everybody knows that it's well-used. And you can walk in here and you can give the biggest check of anybody in all the beloved church. And all it will do is get you more intimate with Satan than you were before you walked in. Now the people in the counting room will say, wow, somebody, they would assume, somebody really loves God and loves us. And we'll, we'll take the money and we'll do great things with it. and We'll change lives and all. It, it'll benefit us, but it won't benefit you at In fact, it will take away the benefit in your heart. But I want you to get this exact same activity, exact same action. So somebody could say, I'm going to work to serve Jesus, present the kingdom. And someone else could say, I'm going to work to serve Jesus and for the kingdom. And one of them could be lying and one could be telling the truth and it looks exactly the same. Only you know. God knows your heart. That's why I love it when someone comes up to me and they're like, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. This is where I'm at. I need help with this. Because a person who's authentic and genuine and sincere is someone who actually is in touch with and trying to live from their heart. 
versus the other people that everything is perfect in their lives and they never make any mistakes and don't look behind the curtain. Did you see my Facebook profile? Did you see how holy I am? Did you see how many scriptures I put on Facebook this week? No, I did not. I don't even go on Facebook. <laughs> so many people walk up, did you see my post? I don't even know if I'm your friend. <laughs> Sorry. I just, Facebook is just a tool for me to go on, cause problems, and walk away. <laughs> Amen. I've only been suspended, I think, three times. Which is pretty good. That was way less times than I got suspended my senior year in high school. They actually figured out when I was in high school that um, out-of-school suspensions were oftentimes my target. I'm sorry, Ma. She didn't know some of this because I would get the mail and sign the suspension, Sharon hate, and send it back in the school and be like, your mother's signature looks just like yours. So I would just take the three days off and I'd go to my friend's house and we'd smoke cigarettes and drink near beer. Anybody ever drank that? I didn't even know it was near beer because it said Old Milwaukee on it. <laughs> but at the bottom it said, what's it called? NA. Yeah, NA. It's at the bottom it said, so I'd be like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> and my, my friend told me one time, you know this isn't real alcohol. <laughs> what? What kind of a nasty trick? Have you ever tasted beer? It tastes like, I I won't want to say it. It tastes terrible. And I was pushing through it to man up and drink the beer. And then I find out this whole time it's not alcoholic. Man. That was so embarrassing. Stop it. He knows my friend. <laughs> so the school figured out because I was really looking forward to the out of school suspensions that they started giving me in school suspensions and they set a desk in the principal's office. Yeah. Guess who only got suspended one more time? <laughs> Seek not. I am a quick learner. Seek not what you shall eat. What you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Where you set your mind when you're going about what you're seeking has a ton to do with whether you are doing it in kingdom or in earthly, sensual, and devilish, which is what James calls the wisdom of this world. For all these things do the nations, ethos, ethnic groups, of this world, they all do it. Some of them do it differently. Uh, folks that live on the equator are going to seek these things differently than folks that live on the North Pole. But they're all still going to revolve around that is the core values of their life. Seek the things that you need to continue to exist. And that is anti-kingdom. Kingdom is seek the kingdom and then God will give you all the things you need to quote unquote exist. They look the same. One person goes to work, seeks the kingdom. One person goes to work, 
and seeks the food and the water and the stress and the things and the stuff and to pay the TV bill and hopefully get a bigger house one day. Looks exactly the same. Two people clocking in right behind each other at the job. One person is changing the world. One person is a slave. All these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things. But rather, you seek. Investigate, pursue. You seek the kingdom of your God. Seek the king's dominion. Dominion means authority and rule and reign. Does he rule and reign in you? And I know we're in church, and it's Sunday, and I'm preaching a sermon, and you're sitting next to church people. And so, obviously, you have to say yes. But your father knows whether he actually has dominion in your life or not. And you can fool me. I'm naive. I think that all of you are the most amazing, perfect, pristine, holy. I'm literally shocked sometimes when people go, hey, pastor, I'm struggling with this. At beloved church? (laughs) And I'm only being half funny. Like, I literally believe that you guys are there. I'm preaching to the YouTube folks. They're jacked up. But all you... But your father truly knows. And that's why it would be way more beneficial to you to just be authentic and be real. If there's things that you ain't quite got sorted, praise God. Welcome to the club. Everybody in here, except for my mom and Kay, have things to sort. (laughs) When you are authentic and real and you honestly have here's the here's the thing about this seeking the kingdom actually means that you don't have all of the kingdom operating yet that's the that's the interesting part about this seek it because obviously you don't have all of it working no matter how much you got working you don't have all of it working so as so why So, <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob popped something loose. <laughs> Somebody help him put it back on. It popped off. Uh, I had the joy of, I'm just going to unplug. I'll come back. It, the Bible's, it'll be right there. I'll come back. Little story. We did a, love you. We did a, we did it, me and Bob uh, took uh, the second year uh, Karis Bible College uh, Chicago students on a mission trip. We uh, had the had the honor, the deep honor of taking them away. And uh, nuking them, I guess we'll just like we totally wrecked them, and it was great, it was awesome. And they got to meet Bob for the first time. 
Now, now we're, now we're kind of accustomed to like random noises and things and, you know, and jerks and, but not everybody is. So he's got like spiritual ticks. <laughs> and I had uh, a couple of the students were like, I'm like, it's just Bob. The cool thing was after about five days, they were fine with it. But you just gotta, you gotta work into it because you're just sitting in church and you hear stuff and so, uh, now they, a bunch of them actually love him more than me because he's got ticks. And I think, I think it makes them feel like, hey, we got someone we can pray for. Now he's going to be really conscious. That would have been a place for a noise right there. <laughs> Investigate. Here I go back to the scriptures. Investigate, pursue. This is a heart thing. Uh, now that I picked on Bob, I'm going to I'm going to exalt him. This is something he says nearly every Sunday. It's always a heart thing. It's always a heart thing. You don't get to fake this. You, you can't trick God. You can trick me. You cannot trick God. He knows what your heart is truly seeking after. And the, the heart is really, really an incredible thing. We just talked about this on Wednesday at our grace group. You know, your heart can seek things that are earthly, sensual, devilish. And your heart can seek the desires of God. And depending on what part of your heart you're living from, you're going to seek after those things. One of the questions that we had on, at Grace Group is, how do you know that the desire that's in your heart is a godly desire? You know, I can desire, I, I do, I honestly do. I desire a, a dream home. I desire a dream home. And then other people desire a dream home. Other people can desire a dream home and be absolutely carnal. I desire a dream home, and the main reason is because I want my wife's desires. If you know anything about the castle house, I've only got two rooms anyway. I've got my study, and I've got the garage. The rest of the house is hers, and she tells me what to do with it, or she tells me to stay out. And I'm totally fine with that. I don't care. So when we do have a dream home, I'm only getting two rooms. I'm getting my study. It's going to be a good study, though. I've already got it planned out. It's going to be on the top of the house, and it's going to have at least three walls that are glass, so that while I'm up there praying and looking at God and watching the sunrise and watching the sunset, I am going to be completely not... It's going to be way out in the country, and so nothing is going to distract me. Me and Jesus in the top of the house, I can't hear no other sound. I mean, it is going to be like my own little personal temple. So one day, it's that. And then I'm going to have a garage. With a hoist. Which is yeah, at least one car lift. And you're going to be thinking, well, what are you going to do? I'll just raise a car and lower it just because I can. I don't even care if I fix it. I'm going to raise it up. Yep, that's what the bottom looks like. (laughs) 
I will have a car lift. I'll have a garage with a car lift, and I'll have the coolest study ever. Now, the rest of the house, whatever she wants. I don't care. I really don't. The reason I want a dream home, honestly, is really for her and kind of for Jesus. And then way down the list for a car hoist. <laughs> Which is carnal, and if it doesn't happen, whatever. Scott's got two of them. I can go to Scott's house. <laughs> and I really don't care. But the, I'm, I'm, and I'm not even seeking it. I just desire it. How do you know whether the desires in your heart are godly? You have to filter them through the Word of God. Hebrews 4.16 says, It's the Word of God that divides asunder joint from marrow. Soul from spirit. You can have things from your soul impact your heart, and they could be carnal and fleshly, selfish, self-centered. Or you could have things from your spirit flowing into your heart, and they're going to be directly from the throne room. And it's the Word of God that divides the two. And God knows truly what's going on in your heart. He knows whether those things that are, that are coming from there are carnal and self-centered and flesh. And He knows whether they're from His Spirit. And the amazing thing is... Every desire of your heart that comes from the Spirit is of way better quality. If God gives you a desire for a house, I can promise you it's going to be of the God kind. If the world gives you a desire for a house, it is going to be of the world's kind. And you are going to be doing projects and honeydew lists until you pass out. If God brings something, it's amazing and beautiful. If the world gives you something, it is just more time, more money, more effort. I learned this with my first boat. (laughs) My first boat was an absolute, literal money trap. And it was because at that time in my life, I was trying to escape K. I was trying to do my thing and be a man. And I worked really, really hard, worked a hundred and some odd hours a week. And so I was going to excuse my time on the lake in the boat that I was honestly just trying to run from the impressions of God in my heart. I was going to excuse it by being on a boat and just telling him, I'm out there fishing, just leave me alone. i got to settle my head or do whatever carnal, ridiculous excuse I used. And it was every week I had to fix something. And it was every other week I couldn't even be on the lake because I was fixing something that if I would have been on the lake, and I can't tell you, literally probably five or six times I got stuck on the lake because the boat broke on the lake. You ever tried to paddle a big boat? And one time the paddle broke. You ever had to call 911 from the middle of a lake? Hello, what's your emergency? Okay, this is not a joke. Actually, in the middle of Lake Ray Hubbard, uh, sir, this is an emergency line. No, 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 don't hang up. I'm stuck. God gives you a boat. You get stuck in the middle of the lake. You've got to call 911 and then try to explain that you're an idiot. God brings you the desires of your heart. And it's like, I didn't know this could be this good. So if you have something in your life that is just all work and toil and sweat and stress, and it's probably not from God. And before you go talking to me about your spouse, uh uh-uh, saying about people, 
It's about stuff. When you seek the kingdom of God first, it says in Matthew 6.33, first, then all these things will be added unto you. And then the core value verses, fear not, little flock. Fear not. It's a command. Those of you that are wrestling with whether you're allowed to fear or not. Amen. It's a command. Amen. Fear not. How dare him call me a little flock? It is your father's good pleasure. Would you like to give God some pleasure? Some people do. Would you like to actually position yourself to bring pleasure to God? I know that's an amazing thought process. But you can actually bring pleasure to God. By letting him bring the kingdom into your life. Psalm 35 something says, Let them shout for joy and be glad. All them that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, Let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Let God be magnified. I'm going to go to Matthew 18. The the title of this is accountability. And before you go wandering off in your brain, don't. Because what you think you think is not what you need to be thinking. Because I'll tell you what to think. <laughs> Only half of y'all caught that. Wait, what? What? Not that kind of church. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start in 23, and then I'm going to back up, and then I'm going to go past it. The goal is verse 35. Everybody remember that? So you gotta, you got to help me. 35 is the goal. We're starting in 23, and we'll take a pit stop by one. Therefore... That's why we have to take a t- spit. T- 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 <laughs> that is why we have to go past verse 1. Because it says, therefore, this actually builds on everything else. Jesus doesn't just walk into a room and say, therefore. <laughs> it's, you, you get it like it's connected. It's a conjunction. But I want to highlight what he was trying to highlight in the kingdom principle for the therefore. Therefore, it is the, uh, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened. Remember, in parables, doctrine is illustrated. So many people make doctrine from parables that they screw themselves up because now you can't believe authentically. You do not get doctrine from parables. You have doctrine illustrated in parables. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like, and remember certain, um, annotates something that the Lord specifically wants you to drill in. Whenever you see the word certain, especially in the New Testament, what he's saying is that there was a quality or a quant- in this particular person that you need to truly pay attention to. There was a certain 
uh, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Take account. In the kingdom, there's accountability. Now, I get it. Most people go to church on purpose to not be accountable. They just let God be accountable for everything. Well, he went to the cross and he did all that stuff. And so I can live however I want to live. And it's all on Jesus. And you're right. You can sin all you want. And Jesus paid for it. You can on purpose become a professional sinner. And Jesus paid for all those sins. Amen? I know that y'all are waiting for the but and the yet. And the, he paid for all of the sins, for all of the people, for all of time. That was how terrible, horrendous, and excruciating his cross was. And if you can, knowing what I just told you about his cross pain, if you can go out there and sin, knowing that you were on purpose putting another stripe on his back, putting another blow to his face, pulling out another chunk of his beard, piercing his hands afresh, piercing his feet afresh, if you can go out there and do the things you want to do, knowing you're doing that to Jesus then we need to probably consider the fact that your heart really has never been changed by his love. Because I personally can't. I can't do that to him. And I'm not saying that I I walk around shamed and guilty and and tenuous like I don't want to hurt Jesus. But love will compel you to live a way that legalism or fear that will never. Legalism is from hell. Accountability is from the kingdom. And sometimes it's a fine line. Sometimes it's a fine line. Because when I hold people accountable, I know some are like, man, what, what's the thing with the stuff? Uh, the, folks in, the folks in my life that I disciple, one of the things I tell them is, I'm watching. I'm watching what you're doing, how you're talking. Where you're going, the things that you're... I'm not watching so I can find things to judge you on or to make you feel terrible about or to guilt you or to say, well, I've seen when you did the thing. No, I'm looking because I want to find root things that are going on so that when I have the opportunity, I can expose some of the roots and say, hey, do you really want that in there? And hopefully, if they're being discipled by me, they're going to say, heck no, let's get rid of that. All right, let's tear her out. Here, bite on this piece of leather while I pull. (laughs) This certain king, the highlight certain, was about the fact that this king was highly motivated by accountability. Your father wants you to be motivated in the kingdom by accountability. He wants you to be accountable, and he wants folks accountable to you. And I, and I don't know why this is such a, 
a terrible thing to say in church. And I get it that a lot of people are just like, hey, 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 I'm not. The Lord is my shepherd. So I don't need another shepherd. Well, God bless you, you little mini God. And you and Satan together that are going to exalt yourself, your throne above the throne of God because you're rejecting the system and the way that God put it into place, which was the gifts that he gave unto the body of Christ, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are no good for you because you don't need them because the Lord is your shepherd. This, this happens all the time, y'all. Well, I don't need to be committed to a church. Anywhere I go is the church. The church is is universal. I am the church. You old arrogant thing. You're the church, huh? The word church is plural. And in every epistle in the New Testament, it wrote to a local church. The book of Romans was written to the church at Rome. The book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church or the pastor of the church, my dear son, Timothy, my dear son, Titus. It was all about the local church. And now we've, we've come so far in 2021 that people just like, wow, man, I can sit on my couch, watch the Zoom and I'm doing church. <laughs> Bite your tongue. And local, on purpose, committed, local, gathering together. Why is that important? Because the church should be accomplishing something. The word church, ecclesia, comes from uh, a a Greco-Roman Latin origin. Man, I don't even want to... I don't have time for this. But it was basically like a city council. Jesus used a Greek term. You know, he could have said... Uh, congregation. He could have said synagogo. That in the Greek word synagogue was where the Jews went. He could have said, upon, uh, upon this rock, I will build my synagogue. Upon this rock, I will build my temple. Upon this rock, I will build my revelation. But he said, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. The called out ones who are like a city council in a town that on purpose do legislation and hold the city accountable for the legislation that it, in, it, that it enacts. That's what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to get together, make legislation, and then hold the, the, the area, whether region or wherever we're called to influence, we're supposed to hold them accountable for the legislation that we make. Shocking. And most people think you go so that you can sing and put some money in the bucket. That's the last thing. I'm raising up people that are supposed to be influencing this region. You are called by God to influence this region. I am raising you up. I am putting the, the characteristics, the, the anointings of God, the purposes and the plans of God so that you can leave here with the legislation that God gave you and go out there and hold them accountable for that legislation. When the, when the church embraces this, you realize there will never be another child picked up, kidnapped, and molested. Because we hold the legislation. And the cool thing about the legislation that we enact, it's spiritual stuff. So it's not limited by these earthly, that, well, I didn't, nobody's seen it. There's no proof. There's no, nobody was there. 
My father was there. He knew what happened. He knows what's going on. And I'm going to get into that. There's at least two angels for every person. To the degree that we're, we're being accountable to the legislation that we're supposed to be bringing into this world through the local church. And this is why it's so devastating that people don't understand the local church. They just think it's just somewhere they go and they don't have to go and they can go from one to the next and they can church hop and church hop the rest of the time. They, they don't, this is why that we are not influencing this world because the world says the church. Who cares about them? They can't even figure out which building to be in on Sunday. And I'm, it's true. I've had people literally call me, well, pastor, I'm not called to a church. I'm, I'm called to just kind of bounce around from place to place. I'm like, well, aren't you special? You're like a flea on the body of Christ. <laughs> Sucking blood from wherever you want to land. <laughs> Terrible. And it's also why pastors are like, hey, God gave us this vision. God wants us to do this. All right, now who's with me? Yeah. All right, follow me. All right, let's take that. Where'd they go? Well, they, they're doing stuff. Got to do sports over here. and Got, you know, I mean, it's Sunday. I got to golf. Somebody's got to go golfing on Sunday. And, uh, you know, this is my only day off, Pastor. I can't be... And, you know, Bob talks about money all the time. And I really hate it when people talk about my money, except for all the other places that I spend my money. So when the pastor turns around and says, okay, let's go get him. By let's, it's like him. And then eventually he gets mad. And then he starts to beat the sheep (laughs) instead of feed the sheep. Anybody ever witnessed a beat the sheep, pastor? That's how he got there, likely. It's because he's like, hey, let's go do all this great stuff. And the sheep are like, bah. <laughs> and then he, he wants to go and he turns around and they all go, but, 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 but. He's like, goats. <laughs> what happened to all the sheep? <laughs> they got hungry. They left. And when he had begun to reckon, when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him that owed him 10,000 talents. I'm not going to take you into all the math. Here's the, here's the reality. $22 billion. $22 billion with a B. $22 billion. Can someone say, like, big debt? It's a big debt. And here's the thing. He knew about it. This is shocking to me because I'm like, man, at some point, you know, when somebody owes you a hundred bucks, you're like, hey, you owe me a hundred bucks. When somebody owes you a thousand, you're like, hey, somebody owes you 10 grand. You got lawyers on speed dial. 22 billion? 22 billion. But for as much as he had not to pay. Obviously, I hope that everybody understands the analogy is, this is what you owe God if you were to pay. 
Do you know what it co- Do you know what a sin costs? Blood. And not just any blood. It has to be perfect, spotless blood of the Lamb of God. That's what a sin costs. It costs God's blood. A sin. This is, this is our debt. That's the parallel here. This is what we owe God. And those of us that are wise come to God and they say, I understand how much I owe you, but I can't pay. I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you make, unless somebody in here is really good at hiding. But if you owed me $22 billion, you can work the rest of your life. You can do whatever it is you think that you're going to do. You can save. You can, you can invest. You can invent $22 billion. You ain't getting there. You ain't getting there. Now, you may, be, you may have more than me. Let's say you're holier than me. Let's say you're walking better than me. And I'm, I'm planning on giving God back a million. And you're twice as good as me, so you're tracking for two. The bill's 22 billion. We both fall short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if you think you're better than me, or if you think you're the greatest saint in the room, or you're even the greatest saint in the body of Christ. Unless you can get to 22 billion, you can't pay it. And a bunch of people think they can. Well, here's how I'm going to live. Because this is how we live. We live in a performance-based life. It, it, it breaks my heart sometimes how I see people do in marriages. Because it's all about performance. When their spouse acts right, then they treat them right. When they act wrong, then they just blast them. And they think that's okay. Or they withdraw relationship from them. Or they drop those little in, insidious words on them. And break their souls. Because they owe them something? What do we owe you? What does Kay owe me? I could spend the rest of my life giving her everything that I ever possibly have. And I could never make up for the way that she's loved me. Ever. And on top of that, God gave her to me. God gave her to me. He didn't charge me. He didn't send me a bill. He blessed me with her. If she's the most terrible wife on the planet, she came as a free gift from my father. (sighs) Gotta stop talking about Kay. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. This is normal. Absolutely normal in their time. And I love it that this is the way that it was in their time frame because me and you can read this now and be shocked at the fact that people actually used to pay their debts. Now today we can just go get bankruptcy. And it just disappears. You don't pay the doctor bill, eventually they'll just write it off. 
You don't pay whatever it is. I mean, I mean, you, it's never really going to actually affect us. It may mess with our credit. It may, I mean, but eventually, it just doesn't matter. In their time, you didn't pay your debt. You're a slave. It really actually mattered. You didn't get to choose whether you were going to be accountable or not. You're going to be accountable or they're coming to get you. And here's the thing, not just you. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children. And that's how it used to work. Until you could pay your debts, you were sold into slavery, and whatever you and your wife and your children produced, that went towards the bill that you owed. Now remember, he owed him $22 billion. How long was him and his wife and his children going to be in slavery? Forever. Forever. That's what you owe God. If you're going to pay God back, that's what you owe Him. Slavery forever. Good luck. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped Him, saying, Lord! Fell down and worshipped Him. Fell down and worshipped Him. Well, we don't fall down on our, in our church. I know. You're not in your church. We're aware of what God did for us. And sometimes it puts us on our knees. Sometimes it produces things in praise and worship that I don't have words for. And maybe that's not the way you were raised. By your religion. But I can tell you this. That is how you were raised by your father. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Liar! Good intentions. Good intentions. And a lie. He knew he was stuck. And this was his way of crying out for mercy. Please, please just give me more time. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll do something. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. Moved. The word compassion is mercy. He was moved by mercy. Let me say this, he wasn't moved by mercy because the guy was so eloquent in the way that he asked. And he was so pure-hearted and so authentic. Because he lied. The father was the king, sorry. The king was moved with compassion. The king was moved by mercy Because the king was merciful. God has mercy on you, not because of your poor, terrible state. God has mercy on you because God is merciful. 
And if you try to convince him that his mercy belongs on you because of your terrible condition, you have just wrecked mercy. If you think that you deserve grace, then you don't understand grace, which is undeserved. If you think that you are lovely, therefore God loves you, then you do not understand agape. Agape doesn't have anything to do with how lovely you are. It has everything to do with a person being moved towards you because of who they are. The more I operate in agape love, the more it has to do with me, not you. And I don't care how lovely you are or how unlovely you are. How much agape I operate in towards you has zero to do with you, has everything to do with me. This, again, is the love in relationships in the body of Christ. In your marriage, this is the love. Those of you that are born again and have children, this is the love. Any other love is not his kind of love. If you're not using his kind of love, guess whose love you're using? The king was moved by mercy and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Beloved, 22 billion. Just forgave it. Let me tell you a little something about your king. (laughs) The amount of love and mercy and grace he has towards you, you will never fathom. Ever. Ever. When you get, when you find out how much he loves you, it lasts for like 90 seconds and then you start trekking towards the next realization of how much he loves you. And then you start trekking towards the next one and the next one and the next one. I can, I can, I literally have almost built in my heart at least, I have built little um, altars in moments that I can give you nearly date and times of radical encounters that I've had with God's love. And each one is more intense than the last one before it. There's times that I don't even know if I'll survive it because it's that good. And when I tell people that I've had like an encounter with the love of God, they're like, pray for me to have that. You don't pray that on someone. You just go submit to it. God is way more loving than any of us will ever know. If you want to experience his love, go experience it. He's not holding it back. I mean, if he's willing to go to the cross for you, he's willing to show you his love. The only reason that you're not experiencing his love is because you're not. That's called accountability. And the same servant went out and took one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. That's 15 grand. It's 15 grand. I get it. That's a sizable debt. But it's also not 22 billion. I think the Lord actually used this number to, so that people understood, like, it's, it's a for real debt. 15, if somebody owes you 15 grand, they owe you. <laughs> but it's also not 22 billion. 
And this is where most of us are, that we think people owe us. We get it, they don't owe us like we owe God. But they owe us. Right, yeah, those people in your life that did the thing, especially when they did it to you when you were a kid, they owe you. They owe you. And they'd better pay up. Because that's exactly what this fellow, sir, that's exactly what this guy did. He found one of his fellow servants which owed him 15 grand and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. And I know you're thinking, the guy just had mercy. So did you. You woke up this morning, fresh, daily mercy. His mercies are new every morning. You woke up in a pillow in a cloud of mercy. And some people get up off their bed in mercy and they, it's like, where's that woman that didn't do the right thing yesterday? Wake up in fresh mercy from God and you're looking, you're hunting that next person that you can take by the throat and let them know how much they owe you. And he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying exactly what he said. Have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. Now here's the thing. That guy probably actually could come up with 15 grand. He could have actually had patience on him. And that dude probably would have been able to come up with 15 grand. If I owe, if you gave it to me, pastor, you, I, you didn't know this, but you, you owe me 15 grand. I don't have it. But I could get it. You give me enough time and I need, I'll cut whatever corners and do the thing and the stuff. I'll, I'll come up with it. And his fellow servant fell on his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And he would not. He would not. This was a will thing. It was a decision. It was an attitude. And he would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. This is what people in the body of Christ, when they see other people operating outside of the character of God, this is what it does to their heart. This happens to me a lot where I see folks do, um, especially in relationships. Because like the easiest people, uh, where's Gunner? Hey, son. The easiest people in your life, my daughter, my son, my wife, and my mom, and my sister, man, Good church filled with a bunch of my family. (laughs) Shocking. These are usually the easiest people to be the meanest to because they're the closest. They're the ones that can get the wrath the quickest. Because I've had a bad day, so you have to have a bad day. And oftentimes my bad day has to do with what you did or didn't do. Right? Because they have that much control in your life. These are the people that we are honestly supposed to have the most character of God with. 
and they're the ones that get the least of it. It's shocking. And I, I, I see this play out in other people's lives where they're like, you know, my spouse, this, and this is what I'm going to do because this is what they did. And I'm standing here as a fellow servant saying, oh my God, God forgave you $22 billion. Forgive your wife 15 grand, you jerk. After this, his Lord, they were very sorry and came unto him and told the Lord what was done. And his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. You know what the word wicked means? Twisted. Twisted. Like wicker furniture. It's twisted. You know, we think wicked is like this super evil thing. And, and it can be. I get that. But wicked actually just means twisted. You've twisted the grace of God, the mercy of God that he gave you. You twisted it, and now you're going to make sure that this person that owes you 15 grand has to pay you? After you were forgiven $22 billion? That is twisted. Twisted. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desired me. That's what, that's what purchased the mercy of God. Was us just desiring the mercy. That was the payment. That's all he wanted was your heart. That's all he wanted. That's all he asked for. He did everything he did in atonement. All of that three days, two days in hell, the cross, the whipping post times two because he got beat twice. The spitting, the, the vile language that was thrown at him. The, he, was, he was illegally arrested, wrongfully tried, accused of things he never did. All of that was for us, y'all. None of that, he didn't earn nothing for himself. All of that was for us. Went through all of that so you would never ever doubt what he's willing to do for you. All he wanted from all of that was for you to believe it. It's all he wanted. It's all he'll ever want. It's for you to just believe that he did it for you. Man. It seems like such a small price to pay. For such a great gift. And the truth is it is. Our part of this covenant. It's the easy part. Should not thou have had compassion. Mercy. On your fellow servant. As I had mercy on you. Shouldn't you have equal mercy. On people in your life. That the Lord has mercy on you. Let me say this. Here's a principle. You do. You do. Those of you that are ugly to folks in your life and mean and vindictive and vengeful, it's because you honestly believe God's that way. You actually are acting congruent with the character that you believe that God has done to you. And so you're giving what you've received. You can only give away what you received. Either from God or from man. 
So if mankind has treated you terribly, then you're going to treat others terribly because that's what you've received. And since it was never balanced by you actually going to God and allowing Him to do that thing, you give people what you think they deserve. When you allow God to come in and do His thing, you realize you'll never be able to give people what they deserve because what they really deserve based upon God's standard is mercy, grace, love, everything you have to offer. So those of you that are struggling in relationships... And the way that you interact with other people, let me help you. Let God love you. Let God be merciful. Let God be gracious. And you will hand it out like candy. You'll hand it out. And folks will say, where did this come from? Man, it's just what I experienced with my dad. And so it's what I have to offer. And his Lord was Rolf. That means mad. Angry. And now remember, this is an analogy towards the kingdom. I don't think the king is too happy when he gave me the greatest thing ever in K. <clears throat> and then I go home and I get to treat her all self-centered and selfish and belittle her. And drop in little snide remarks. Or withdraw affection from her by giving her the silent treatment. Or giving her attitude just so she knows how I feel. Which doesn't really work too well at my house. If I give Kay the silent treatment, she's like, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Amen. Lord, I praise you. But, I mean, gals do this a lot. They give that little snide, that little attitude thing just so the husband knows, like, you have disappointed me, and I am going to let you know. In other words, it's, and, and the amazing thing is, is that in the body of Christ, it is literally satanic. It's satanic in the body of Christ, because if both the husband and the wife are born again, and the wife tries to lead by giving dirty attitude, you've usurped the kingdom arrangement that God made in rebellion. Which is exactly what Satan did. Didn't Satan come to Eve and say, well, are you sure that you can't touch that tree? Well, I think God knows that if you touch that tree, you'd actually be more like God, honey. He should probably take you a little bite. It's exactly what Satan did in the garden. And his gals that do it now. God bless them. And his Lord was Rolf. And delivered him to the tormentors. The word tormentors means torturers. The ones that torture. Let me say this. This wasn't God sending... Remember, this is a parable. This isn't doctrine. The application of this particular part of this parable, people struggled with this a ton. This isn't God sending folks to go be tortured 
This is God releasing people to the torture that they're producing. So using the reference that I just used, a gal that has a terrible attitude and she's going she's gonna to work her husband over with her terrible... You know what happens? She ends up being tortured by that terrible attitude all day long. Tortured, tortured, tortured. Tor- then she passes it on to her kids. Then her kids pass it on. And then there are three or four or five generations of a particular kind of gal that everybody else knows that they're like that and they pretend like they don't know. The Lord will let you, if you want to be that way, you're free to be that way. If you want to be free from it, you're free to be free. Guys do the same thing. I'm not picking on gals. I I know all the gals are like, come on, get off. (laughs) Guys do the same thing. They... Somebody somewhere along their lives uh, emasculated them, castrated them, whatever, and so then they they lived the rest of their life just completely defeated and broken, and and it's because someone did something mean to them. Some gal somewhere did whatever, and so I'm just gonna I'm not gonna take my place, my rightful place that God called me to. I'm not gonna act right. I'm not gonna because the only thing that happens is she does the thing and the stuff. And you literally perpetuate in her something that might not even be there. Maybe she wants you to lead. Maybe she wants you to be a man of God. Maybe she wants you to be a knight in shining armor on a white steed that comes in and rescues her, picks her up, puts her on the back, rides into the sunset for once. And you show up on a bunny rabbit (laughs) with a toothpick sword. And she's like, what the? Hey. Believe it or not, gals actually appreciate real men. I didn't even tell them to do that. They just did that. I think that's confirmation, fellas. Your wife, at least I know this for a fact, the spiritual part of your wife wants you to be a man of God. Maybe her flesh is struggling with that. (laughs) And her soul... Might need some gentle nudging. But I can assure you that her spirit wants it. And you're going to be accountable for the spirit part. Verse 35. I said we were going there. So likewise. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Let me say this real quick. This is a parable about kingdom activity. This is inside the body of Christ. Principles in here don't fly from believer to unbeliever. If you are offended by an unbeliever, you are immature and carnal. And I could say some other things, but I'm being gentle. But if you're unbeliever people at work or your unbeliever people in your life are offending you and upsetting you and stressing you out, you are a terrible Christian. Because sinners are supposed to sin. They're literally doing what they're supposed to do. And you're upset. What do you want them to be? Holy? Be kind? Be nice to you? Are you for real right now? 
How do you think people get to be that way? <laughs> they come to Christ. And you're going to be upset because somebody who's doing what their father taught them to do is doing it well? You should actually applaud them. You are the greatest sinner ever. I've never seen anyone be uglier than you. I mean, if there was a trophy for... And I cannot tell you how I many Christians have come and pastor these people in my life. And I'm like, are they sinners? Yeah. And you're upset? <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. We should make sure we remove all the sinners out of your life so you can have a nice, good day. For real now. Happens all the time. So all these principles that I just went through, this is kingdom to kingdom. This is believer to believer. That's why Jesus said, therefore. All the verses before this were kingdom principles. Specifically, one of the greatest things in Matthew 18 is called church discipline. And obviously I can't go there because I'm out of time. Oh, look, the time's gone. I can't go to church discipline. Yay. Sorry, because it's a big subject. But Jesus literally just taught on it. There's actually such a thing as church discipline. And I can't talk about it because we're out of time. And I know how you guys are with Stacy's Conania and got to go do stuff and things. Actually, I have to go teach again. But the this is... All of these things are building on what the Lord said. He said, therefore. So when he's talking about these, these are all kingdom things inside the kingdom for kingdom people. Obviously, if you're not a person that gives a rip about church discipline, then all this stuff doesn't matter either. Just go about doing your own thing. And hopefully it works out for you. You'll be your own king. You'll have your own kingdom. And you and your little pawns, probably your puppies, because they're the only ones that are going to listen to you, are going to have your kingdom. Good luck. But if you want to be in his kingdom, you're going to have to embrace the rest of this. So read all of Matthew 18. Amen, Pastor. I'd love to do that. Thank you. Well, that's great. You're a good sheep. All of you other people, you can read Matthew 18 too. There's a ton of really important stuff that's all filtered through there that all of us need to learn and grow if we're going to be kingdom people. And submit to. That's verse 1. Be like a little child. Innocent and submitted. Amen. Amen. I love those are my favorite. Innocent and submitted. Yay. All right. I'm going to bless you, kingdom folks. So please rise. Thank you so much for sharing a few moments with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His precious, life-changing Word. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and at Beloved Church, this is where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved. I pray, I desire, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you. 
And we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved. <laughs>